Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. Last month, I gave a survey, which was an anonymous survey. There were no names on it, but to just kind of see what people um, struggle with and how our small groups could help you. So I hope that you plugged into one of our U groups uh, that we've been going now for three or four weeks. So if you're not, man, it's not too late. I double dog dare you to join one of our small groups. Um, you can do that at uncommonchurch.tv forward slash groups. Um, but one of the questions that was in that survey was about anxiety. You know, how many people struggle with anxiety or fear or depression? And um, like more than half the room stood up, and that was really hard to, to see. Um, and so last Sunday, of course, I did that message called Overcoming Anxiety. Um, a lot of people said, hey, that really, that really helped me to know scripturally what I can be standing on and believing and giving me some steps to find healing and freedom from anxiety. So um, if that's on our YouTube. If you missed it, I'd encourage you to watch that. But then there was another question that I asked. So I, I grabbed a little five-second video clip. So remind yourself of this question. Do you struggle financially? Look around, do you struggle financially? It's half our church. You're not the only one. So as a pastor, I was really moved with compassion for all the people that struggle with depression and um, finances. And finances, to be totally honest, is one of the easy ones. We often struggle with something that God has mapped out in scripture a really easy path to have freedom and, and financial freedom um, in, our, uh, in our lives, but so often we, we struggle financially. So um, let, let me give you this verse and then ask you to see if this sounds like something God wants his people to struggle with. It would be struggling in finances. Proverbs chapter 3 says, if we would honor the Lord with our wealth and the first fruits of all of our produce, then our barns will be filled with plenty and our vats will be bursting with wine. Remember, they didn't have checking accounts and debit cards. You know, they had uh, produce and, and grain and wheat. And, you know, it was, it was an agricultural people. So he, the Lord says, if, if you'll honor me, I'll, I'll take care of you and I'll bless you abundantly. So I want you, same question I asked last Sunday. I want you to think about God as a loving father. And he is a God who walks on streets of gold and uses giant pearls for doors. Like God is not afraid of money or wealth. And then based on this particular verse, if we honor God, he's going to bless us so much we'll have more than enough. Do you think that God wants more than half of his kids to be struggling with money? Obviously not. So we're going to have to get into the scriptures and see what does the Lord say about finances. And there's a lot to cover, and we're only going to cover just a few verses. And if I could just be, I wrote my message, and then I went back and I summarized it in this next sentence. Stop living beyond your means, so spend less than you make, do not be in high interest debt, tithe, learn how to sow seeds of generosity, and then reap a harvest. Problem solved, do that, and you'll walk in financial freedom, amen? All right, thanks guys so much, God bless, have a good one. You're like, okay, it's not that easy. Yeah, it actually is. Like, it really is. It is easy to walk in financial blessing and prosperity. You just, we do it wrong from the very beginning. 
So this is why it's such a concern for me, because after your salvation in Jesus, like after you repent of your sin, you make Jesus Lord, you screw in a light bulb, you, you, you fill out the card, we begin to encourage you, you take our growth track, you take freedom track, you get plugged in, you grow in your faith. After your faith, honestly, your finances is my second biggest concern. Because when I talk to couples, money is the number one thing they fight, they fight over and talk about and that gives them stress. Statistically, 90% of Americans would say that they regularly have money problems, 90%. 60% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. They have no savings, they have no investment. They're just hoping to have more money than month. 90% of married people say they fight over finances on a regular basis. 80% of all divorces claim that money trouble was a contributing factor to their divorce. And then religious people would be like, well, bless God, hallelujah. Preachers, you should be preaching the gospel. You don't need to be preaching about money in church, hallelujah. Did you know that in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, there's 2,300 verses on money and wealth, but only 500 verses on prayer. So for every one sermon I, I teach you how to pray, I need to teach four or five sermons to teach you how to be generous and be financially blessed, amen? See, the problem is we see money as a natural thing, as a non-spiritual issue. God sees money as a spiritual issue because so often it's an issue of faith. And we, we put our faith easily in money but not in God. And when there's not enough money, we think we suddenly blame God. How many people have you talked to that have had money trouble and then they start blaming God? And the Lord's like, I had nothing to do with it. It was you that had nothing to do with the understanding of where wealth comes from. And or the other extreme, we do well, we make a lot of money, we make six figures, we make seven figures, and then we put our, our, our value and our identity and our wealth and our toys and our stuff. And sadly, for years, the church has taken money to one extreme or the other. The first is this, wealth is a sign of great spirituality. If, if you're wealthy, you're spiritual. The second ditch is poverty is a sign of great spirituality. And if you have nothing, it is a sign of your spirituality. Neither are true. And if I had to lean into one ditch or the other, let me give you this illustration. If you knew somebody to be a millionaire, even a billionaire, somebody that, that, that was extremely wealthy, you knew they made seven figures plus, but yet, let's say it was dad. Dad drives a nice car, always has new shoes and new clothes, and, and takes great vacations and eats in fine restaurants. But you also know one of his kids. You went to college with one of his kids, and he doesn't take care of his kids, and he, he doesn't provide for them, and they live in a little one-bedroom apartment that's got roaches, and they don't have, their, their clothes are threadbare. They've been wearing the same shoes for 20 years that their toes stick out of the side of the leather, and they, they're emaciated. You would think that that's a terrible father to have all that money but not take care of his kids. So living in poverty and financial trouble is not God's plan for you because it makes God look bad. And it's often our mismanagement of our money that makes God look bad. So I say it again in summary before I even teach this message. Don't spend more money than you make. Live below your means. But yet for some reason most Americans live beyond their means. So just if a household, I'm just gonna throw a number. If your household income is $60,000, you should be living on about $45,000. Why? Because you wanna make sure there's plenty of buffer. So some of you, if you look at your household income combined and you're like, whew, we live right at our household income and maybe a little beyond. 
well, then you're going to have to make some serious changes to your lifestyle to live under your means. It's, it's not worth the financial stress. You will be so glad you made serious cuts and you started living simply and well under your means. And whatever you do, and every time I teach this message, people send me emails and ask for help. Whatever you do, do not get into high interest debt. It is quicksand that will destroy your life. Credit cards, 18, 19, 20, 25% interest, title loans, things like that. These kind of things will suck the life out of a believer, and they should not, you should not have any high interest debt. And if you do, because every time we do this, somebody says, listen, I'm in $50,000 of high interest debt, and all I'm paying is interest, which means you're going to die with that debt and hand it to your kids. So we have men and women in our church that have figured out these principles, and if you're in trouble financially, I want you at some point in the service before you leave to grab a Connect card from the seat back in front of you, name, phone number, address, or email, I don't care about your address, it's not 1980, uh, email address, <laughs> and in the, in the comment say, I need help financially, and, and drop it in the offering bucket, drop it in the white bucket on the way out, and Pastor Ira will be in touch with you this week, and we're gonna get you in some small groups for the next two or three weeks to help you pull out of this nosedive. We have seen people in our church pay off $30,000, dollars $50,000 of high interest credit card debt and living in the black and not the red. So number one, stop living beyond your means. Number two, if I'm a farmer and I've got land, let's say I raise corn up in Kansas or Iowa, and I, woo, Iowa, all right, rock on. Oh yeah, you're from Iowa, yes you are, so good. Um, at least you're not a Colorado buff, right? Prime time is over, so. Uh, oh, shots fired. So, Ira is a Colorado buff. So, yeah, it was a sad day yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, all that hype in that balloon went out. Sounds good. Those boys ran into a buzzsaw. I can't really get behind the Longhorns. You guys are a lot like the Redskins. Like you're good a little bit, and then you break everybody's hearts and lose when it really matters. So I, I can get behind the Rangers being in first place if you want to talk sports. So, and some of you are like, no. Can we talk Jesus and finances? Shut up. Sorry. Amen. At least we're not talking cowboys. So, um, if you're visiting, I hate the cowboys. By the way, I'm from Maryland, so I do not do cowboys. All right, moving on. I'm a farmer. I'm in Iowa. I've got a couple thousand acres, and I make my money on growing corn. Seed is expensive. Like oftentimes, farmers have to take a loan, a mortgage against their property just to buy seed once a year. Seed is expensive. Good seed is expensive, but they make that gamble and they till up their soil and they fertilize it i don't have no i don't know nothing about farming but they do whatever farmers do to grow corn and then he's got all the seed put into the seed throwing machines i don't know how this works but he's like you know what guys let's let's save all that seed and just put out a little bit of seed so the whole point is if you sow a little, you're going to harvest a little. If you sow a lot of seed, you're going to harvest a lot of seed. And remember that verse that we read from Proverbs? The Lord said, if you give, I'm going to make sure that your barns are full and your vats are overflowing. So this topic of wealth and, and generosity is my main concern is not being rich and, you know, not, not being, but I, I love wealth. I have no problem with wealth. I, I like flying instead of driving, praise God. One of the things, you know, Josie's eardrum was blown out, so we were supposed to fly somewhere, and instead we drove 13 hours. I thought I was going to die. I love to fly. 
Um, so I, I have no problem with wealth, but my, my main calling is ministry, pastoring, evangelism, missions, right? My son and daughter-in-law, their calling is in the marketplace, in real estate. So they want to see souls saved because the real estate is growing and they're making more wealth. Why? So they can have more seed. Why? So they can put it back into the kingdom and reap a bigger harvest. Why? So they can see more souls saved. So my son and I were talking at dinner the other night. Well, at dinner when I was a Twinkie with my grandson. And he said, Dad, I finally just, I've been wrestling and fasting and studying for years. But I, I finally figured it out on the, the covenant promise I have from God with sowing and reaping. With sowing and reaping, he said. So, and I go, tell me. He goes, obviously, when you tie Genesis chapter eight and Philippians four together, it just blew my mind. And I was like, I haven't memorized the Bible. So he's all like, yeah, Genesis eight, Philippians four, it's easy. And I'm like, screw <laughs> it. So I got in the truck, hey Siri, uh, tell me about Genesis chapter eight. Because he didn't give me the revelation, he just gave me the address, so I had to go find it myself. Genesis seven and eight is the story of Noah, Noah's Ark. God looks at humanity, and in just seven chapters, mankind is full of sin sexual sin, violent sin. I know that you guys can't understand a culture being violent and sexual, but this was a problem in Noah's day. And God was so upset with the sinful state of mankind, he said, you know what, I think I could do better. We're gonna do over. We're gonna find somebody that's God-honoring, God-fearing, you know, have a good marriage, good kids, and, um, and I'm gonna kill everybody else and start over. So he did. He told Noah, hey, build a big boat, put your three boys and your daughter-in-laws and take two of every animal and, and take some extra animals and load them up in the boat. I'm going to flood the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. I'm going to drown everything. Put that on your kid's nursery. You know, like, this is when God killed millions of people. But look at the animals. Aren't they cute? Genesis chapter 8, which is the first reference that my son gave me, is the end of the flood. They're back on dry land. Noah opens the boat. All the animals go out. Son and daughter-in-laws go out to make more babies and start over with us. And um, well, I'll just read it. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20. Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took some of every clean animal and every clean bird, and then he offered them as burnt offerings on the altar, meaning he killed them and then he burned them up as an act of worship to God. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, all right, I'll never again curse the ground because of man, because the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, this is important, this is where we're going in verse 22. While the earth remains, there will be seed time, and harvest time, there's gonna be cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, these things shall not cease. Repeat after me, shall not cease. Shall not cease. So, there was no money because there was no stores because everybody was dead. So Noah took the wealth that he had, which was in these animals, and he took some of that wealth and he sacrificed it 
as a thank offering to God. Lord, thank you for sparing me. Thank you for sparing my wife and my sons and my daughter-in-laws. Thank you, Lord. So the point is, financial sacrifice is worship, and it is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And that triggered God to make a covenant that said he would never flood the earth again. As long as the earth is spinning on its axis, there's going to be seed time and harvest time. There'll be summer and winter, day and night. But the key is there's going to be seed time and harvest time. It was a, a covenant that God made with Noah. I remind you, Noah is long before the Jewish people, long before Moses and Aaron, long before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the book of Genesis chapter 8 early on in mankind and the Lord made a covenant with mankind that there will always be a season for sowing and reaping remember that let's flip over to the New Testament Joshua told us to go to Philippians chapter 4 so I did to set it Philippians 4 in context the Apostle Paul is writing letters to the churches that he's pastoring he's overseeing he has he has campus pastors in each of the cities, but Paul is the apostle that is overseeing all of these works, and he's writing these letters that the Holy Spirit is giving him to give them doctrine, to teach them, to encourage them, to bless them. And somehow, out of all of the churches that Paul is overseeing, it's the Philippian church are the ones that have really understood and tapped into the fact that when we give generously to God, it's a love offering of worship. Look at what Paul says to the church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 4. You Philippians, you yourselves, that in the beginning of the gospel, you know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except only you. He goes, he's throwing Thessalonica under the bus. Even Thessalonica, you guys had to send me help for my needs once again. Not that I was seeking the gift. Here's what Paul was seeking for the church in Philippi. I seek the fruit of of the increase that it be to your credit so the Philippian church gave to Paul when he was in Thessalonica seed money for the ministry to go forth around the nations Paul said I'm grateful but I'm not here for the seed I'm here for you to get the harvest I'm here for you to get the return that God would bless you he was excited for the harvest that God was going to give to the church in Philippi verse 18 I have received full payment and more. I, Paul said, now I'm rich. I am well supplied. I have received everything from Aphrodite's that, of the gifts that you sent me. And it, it, I don't know if you could jump back to Genesis chapter 8. Your giving to the church in Thessalonica, to Paul's ministry, was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches that are in glory in Christ Jesus. To God our Father, praise, glory, worship forever and ever, ever. Amen. Not every church understood this. But something about the church in Philippi, they recognized that their generosity was worship. And their worship was pleasing to God. And that their giving was a seed that was going to be harvested back to them. And that their giving is a covenant that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 8 because if you plant seed you will reap a harvest because it's God said as long as the earth is spinning on its axis you plant seed you will reap a harvest so the Philippians tapped into something that goes back to Noah's covenant 
that if we would give generously our seed, God is going to bless with a harvest. And Paul said, if you do that, then, verse 19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. So God is going to supply the church's riches and glory when? After they've been generous with their seed. Most people want verse 19, but they don't want verse 16. Well, bless God, I'm, I'm glad you and your son figured out this whole thing about seed, but go back, Pastor. The Lord doesn't say that our giving is our seed. You are right. I'm so glad you are so good at studying the Bible. In that portion of Scripture, Paul did not say that. In fact, he said it to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Like to hear it? Here we go. He, the Lord, supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, and he will supply and say multiply. Multiply for what purpose? Sowing and increase of harvest of your righteousness. You, church, will be enriched in a few ways. Hold on, hold on. You will be enriched. Oh, snap. In every way. Why? So you can be generous in every way, which through us is going to produce thanksgiving to God. See, too often, we don't see a harvest because we eat our seed and we plant our bread. God is the one that provides both. Your daily bread for today, your seed is for tomorrow. Your bread is to, to meet your needs today, your seed is for tomorrow. Bread is to, is to make sure that there's a roof over your head and food in your belly and clothes on your back. Seed is a test of your faith. That if you understand the covenant of sowing and reaping, that God would provide a harvest for you of uncommon generosity, if you plant seed in the kingdom of God, he's going to plant seed back in you. Why? To make you more generous to give again. The Philippian church understood this. That's why they were supporting Paul's ministry. Verse 11, if you understand sowing seed because of the covenant of sowing and reaping, you will be enriched in every way why to be generous in every way he's talking about money he's talking about giving paul is saying if you plant more seed you're going to be enriched in every way why so you can turn around and plant more seed and be generous again side note i am so glad that the apostle paul said be uh, receive a harvest in every area enriched in every way i told you already my main ministry in life is you is the nations, is ministering the gospel. Money is not my harvest. Every way is my harvest. I want to be enriched in every way financially, sure. But I want to be enriched in every way that my wife is blessed and healed. That my children and grandchildren are blessed and protected and thriving. That there's a harvest for our church. There's a harvest for our city. There's a harvest in, in God's provision in every area, not just more finances. Amen? Obviously, we want more seed. Why? Because I want to plant more seed. Why? Because I want a bigger harvest. Where? In every area of my life. So if we skip back a few verses earlier, that, that whole thing in Corinthians when Paul is talking to the church about our giving being seed in the ground, seed time and harvest. It's just a few verses earlier. You might have heard these. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. The point Paul is making is this. Whoever sows sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully, is going to reap bountifully. But each one of you has to decide in your heart, not reluctantly and not under compulsion, 
and not guilted into it by some preacher because God loves a cheerful giver. And I remind you, the whole thing is an illustration of giving seed, giving finances. If we sow a little, we're going to reap a little. If you sow a lot, you're going to reap a lot. And if you do, it's so, so that you can become more generous all over again. The whole illustration is about our finances. And we give joyfully and not reluctantly. Like, like when I get the email, pling, pling, you got paid today. Like I run to my laptop. I don't know why I don't do it on my phone like the rest of you. I, I do it on my laptop. I run to my laptop and I go to the church's website and I click on the giving page and I log in with my phone number and I get the little code. Am I the only one that does this? Like you guys on time? And I'm like, but my heart is like beating with excitement. I'm about to give away hundreds of dollars, but I'm like, I'm like, I can't wait to do this. And then I'll call Josie over and we hold hands and we'll pray. We're excited to give. I don't have to give. I get to give. Amen? But here's where my son taught me a lesson. Here's where in my study of my son's Genesis chapter 8, Philippians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that my life was transformed by the word. So if it helped me, I want to help you. Because my son has a far better head start on generosity and sowing seed and reaping a harvest than I do. And here, here's, here's where I have mixed things up. Josie and I have always been tithers. Now, we're going to talk about tithing a little bit. Tithing is not seed. You, you, can't, you can't sow your tithe. You return the tithe because it doesn't belong to me. My seed belongs to me. My tithe belongs to the Lord. We believe in tithing. And the word tithe simply means tenth. And in Scripture, for the Old Testament Jews, they had to return to the Lord the first 10% of their income. Now, Josie and I have always been tithers. We learned it from our parents before us. And um, we, even when we were in Bible college, we, we were broke. But even we, we, we gave 10% of broke back to the Lord. We were so broke in Bible college that a little boy in Nicaragua had our picture on his fridge. But regardless of how broke we were, we joyfully gave God the first 10% of our income. There were tough times. There were times when we had no money and no food, but we did have faith and we prayed and we saw God do miracles. We literally would like pray and somehow we would hear like a car drive away and Josie's like, I think somebody was just at the front door and we opened the front door and there's bags of groceries. Anonymously put there by Somebody in the church that God spoke to or by angels that drove nice cars. I don't know. The point is, one time there was, we, wanted, we were having Thanksgiving. We were supposed to do a turkey. You can't afford a turkey when you have no money. And there's a frozen turkey two days before Thanksgiving on our doorstep. We never went without, sometime, one, one time in particular, we didn't have enough money for rent on our little house condo thing that we rented for Bible college. And I'm like, God's going to provide. And I mean like, God provided at the 13th hour. Rent was due, and I went to the mailbox, and there was an envelope full of cash that said, Brad and Josie love Jesus. In the natural, somebody put cash in our mailbox, or Jesus himself wrote a note that he loves me and gave me cash to pay my rent that month. I praise God that he, even in our lack, even in our poverty, we tithed, we did it joyfully, and he had other people bless us by leaving things on our doorstep. Can I be totally honest? 30 years later, I prefer being the one who gets to bless other people than the one that has to receive the blessing. I find more joy in blessing others than receiving the blessing. And in those times of lack, in those times of poverty, 
Tithing wasn't always easy. Because when you get a little bit of money, it's like, I have children and a wife, and I, I got to pay for school bills, and I was working like three jobs to keep up. But we always did it, and we always did it joyfully, and it was a test. It was a test of our faith. So I've told you this story before, but if you're new, a couple years ago in January, we got our tax giving receipt from the church. The little email you get in January, thank you so much you know, for your generosity in the previous year. You gave XYZ dollars, and that was our tax receipt so we could file you know, with the IRS to not pay tax on that money. And Josie and I were celebrated because we finally had given away more money than we earned when we first got married. And it was like this cool feeling that in you know, 20 whatever years, our income had increased tenfold. And for the first time, we gave away more money than we used to make. And it was like an honest to God, like in prayer, we were like, Lord, thank you for making us so generous that we can give away. And immediately the Holy Spirit was like, whoa, 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 I'm going to stop you right there. Listen, buddy. I love your obedience, but you're not generous. You're just not a thief. And I was like, oh. he's right. We were tithers. There's this funny story that Bill Johnson tells about his grandfather. This was, what is Bill, 72? You know, so this is 60 years ago. He was a little boy, and he remembers being in a restaurant with his grandfather, who was also a pastor of a church. And his grandfather liked to put salt on everything. So they're sitting down, and grandfather reaches over and grabs the salt and shakes it, and only a little bit comes out. And he slams it back down on the table, and he reaches over to the other table for another salt shaker, and he goes, that one's a tither. And the little 10-year-old Bill Johnson says, what do you mean that it's a tither? He said, it only gave the minimum amount that it had to. He said, I want to receive from something that wants to give generously the salt. Tithing is just the bare minimum. So my prayer, when the Lord rebuked me for not being generous and just being obedient, was, Lord, make me generous. Teach me generosity. So that year, we, we, we made a commitment to God that instead of giving 10%, we were going to give 11%. But here's what transitioned. We went from being obedient to being generous because that 1% is seed for harvest. The following year, we gave another 1% to get up to 12%. Now, Josie and I are sneaking up on 20% that we joyfully give away. But here's where my mistake was. Here's what my son has figured out that I haven't. I have been lumping everything in when I, when I give to the church as, as tithes and offerings, and I just lump it all together. I need to go back and calculate exactly what my tithe is and click that, and then you know how you can add a donation? I'm gonna, starting this week, click and add a second donation, and that is gonna be the 11% plus that is my seed. Why? Because you treat tithe differently than you treat seed. Tithing is obedience. Seed is generosity, and that starts at 11%. That's my future harvest. So I have not been intentional about separating my tithe from my seed. So that was the lesson that I learned this week. I, I was today years old before I realized that I need to be careful about separating my tithe. See, you can't sow your tithe because it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. The seed belongs to me, and I'm giving that joyfully because I know that because of my generosity, God's going to supply all that I need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. As long as the earth is still spinning on its axis, I can sow seed, and there will be a harvest. Tithe isn't seed. Seed is my generosity, is, is my 11% that I'm returning to the Lord. Tithing is simply returning what belongs to him. 
And it's the harvest that I receive from my seed that makes me more generous to do it again. So it, it, it is prosperity, but it's prosperity with a purpose. I, I, I want wealth because I want to fund the work of the ministry. Because for me, the more I give, the greater the harvest, the more souls are going to get saved, the more light bulbs are going to get screwed on, the more people that get discipled, the more nations we get to help. So I want to make sure that I eat my bread and I sow my seed. And if I'm generous to my father's house, he's going to be generous to my house. So yes, I'm thankful that I can tithe, but I'm more thankful that I can be generous. And I'm thankful for the harvest. And then I'm thankful that I can be generous again. Why? Because the more I give, the more the kingdom of God gets to win souls. Amen. Get, right? I feel like I'm preaching a lot better than you're amen. <laughs> the harvest we receive, not from the tithe, but from the seed, is how we bless the nations, is how we bless the widow and the orphan, is how we bless Israel. And I know in the church, tithing is a sticky subject. It is not sticky to me. Because people have different biblical insights into the tithe, into the 10%. Let's talk about the tithe. I'm not afraid of sticky things. In the Old Testament, God told the Jewish people, you take the first 10%, you return it to the Lord. He said, you can't keep it. And if you do keep it, you're a thief because it doesn't belong to you. But I remind you that the tithe actually started long before the Jewish law. The tithe started with Abraham. In fact, Pastor Ira read that verse today that Abraham gave a tenth of all of his wealth to Melchizedek, which in the Old Testament is a picture of Jesus. So God then instituted the tithe for the Jewish people, and it wasn't because God needed money. It was to help the Jewish people make sure that their faith was in God and not in their wealth. See, the tithe is not for God's benefit. The tithe is for my benefit. He doesn't need our money. He needs my faith. Malachi chapter 3 said, if you keep the tithe, you're stealing from God. So people get into this stip, sticky topic on the tithe. It's super clear for me. This building is an old strip mall built in the 80s. And then um, Metroplex Chapel Church in the late 80s started meeting here. The church grew and uh, the strip mall was failing. The only thing that was doing well was Sherwin-Williams. They've been here since like 1984. So the church bought the whole campus, all five acres, all the buildings. And then in the late 80s, Metroplex flipped this into a church. And then fast forward, we bought it seven years ago and we flipped it again and here we all are. It's an old strip mall, obviously. There's a concrete slab underneath you, seven or eight inches of concrete and steel. It's got these steel pillars that go up and then it's got a roof over, over top. I want you to picture the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Jewish people are the foundation that this whole thing is built on. We don't have a New Testament Gentile church without an Old Testament Jewish church. Amen? So think about that, that what we believe in is built on the foundation and the history of the Jewish people in the Old Testament. So let's look at the foundation we're sitting on. In Jesus' day, he didn't talk a whole lot. He talked some about keeping kosher and Sabbath and things like that. Why? Because every Jew kept kosher. They didn't mix meat and cheese. Every Jew honored the Sabbath. They took 24 hours off from Friday night to Saturday night. Every Jew, several times a year, would go up to Jerusalem to worship for certain festivals. In their hometowns, every Saturday on the Sabbath, the Jews would go to the synagogue in their hometown. Why? Because for over a thousand years, that's what Jews did. Jews did what Jew things do, and that is keeping kosher, and keeping Sabbath, and going to temple, going to synagogue. 
He didn't make a big deal about tithing. Why? Because it was second nature to them to tithe. For thousands of years, the Jews had tithed. So it, was, it wasn't talked about a lot because it would have been second nature to the Jewish people to tithe. It wouldn't even have been an option. It wouldn't even been up for debate. Jesus did talk about tithing two times. One time, he's talking to religious leaders. He says, guys, you, you tithe on your herb garden. You grow a little mint. You grow a little dill. You, you make sure your wife cuts it all out and separates it and takes 10% and gives it to God. He's like, bravo. And the Lord said, you should tithe. But he said, don't. Don't ignore justice, faith, faith, and mercy just because you're tithing on your mint. So it was important to Jesus that the religious people tithed even on their mint. But then another time he's talking to the religious. He says, listen, boys, I want to remind you that you should pay your taxes to Rome and pay your tithe to the Lord. Matthew chapter 22. Pharisees went and they plotted against Jesus to entangle him in his words. They sent their disciples to him and said, along with the Herodians, teacher, they're trying to butter him up. We know that you are true and you teach the way of God truthfully and you don't care about anyone's opinions and you're not swayed by appearances. Tell us, what do you think? Is it lawful that we should pay our taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus, aware of the malice in their heart, he said, why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? I love how soft and tender Jesus was with people. I love when people go on the news and they claim to talk about Jesus in a way that does not reflect the Bible. Anyway, Jesus said, show me the coin for the tax. So they brought him a denarius, a Roman coin. Jesus said, whose likeness and inscription is stamped on this coin? They said, Caesar. So Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. That word choice, for some reason, the translators picked the word render in English, which is not a word we use all that often, so I went and I looked it up in the Greek. It is apadidome, and it means to pay a debt, to pay a tax, to pay from something that you owe. So Jesus said, of course, he would have been speaking Greek, not English, and he said, if you owe something to Caesar, like tax, then you take that denarius and you pay it to the Lord. But in the ears of a hearer, a Jewish ear, he said, you pay to God what is God's. They would have heard that you should pay your tithe. Now, I've just made an eight-minute defense of why we should tithe. Can I be now honest with you? I don't believe in tithing. I know I gave you that whole thing about it being a foundation of our faith and all that. As a Gentile church, I honestly don't believe in our tithing. You look at Acts chapter 15, the Gentile church, they didn't mention the tithe to the Gentile church. I do believe it's part of the foundation of our faith, but here's what I believe. I believe it's only the starting point and that generosity starts well beyond the tithe. The tithe is simply a baseline. See, everything that Jesus, everything that was instituted in the Old Testament, Jesus came and he cranked it up. In the Old Testament, the Lord said, hey guys, you should not murder. And so far, after 49 years, I've kept this one pretty good. I don't know that I needed applause there. Because, and here's why. Jesus brings the kingdom of God. And he says, listen guys, in the kingdom of God, I'm glad you're not murdering, but if you get angry with somebody on 183 and you call them an idiot, it's the same thing as murder. So I am guilty of murder. She shouldn't have clapped there, yeah. yeah. 
In the Old Testament, the Lord said, listen, no sex outside of the covenant of marriage. And Jesus is like, man, that's awesome. Yeah, you should definitely keep sex inside of the covenant of marriage. But then Jesus goes, well, actually, now that the kingdom of God is here, if you even lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So Jesus took the baseline of the Old Testament and then he elevated it in this passion for knowing the things of God. Now, what I'm about to say is not scripture, but based on those two scriptures, we can extrapolate that in the Old Testament, we paid our tithe. But in the New Testament, how much more generous are we called to be than just 10%? In fact, Paul said our generosity over 10% is the seed, and it's that generosity that is a pleasing aroma that the Lord delights in. See, most people argue about the tithe because they're trying to give less. I'm over here trying to give more. The Apostle Paul understood that the principle that went back to Genesis chapter 8, that the law of sowing and reaping, the covenant of sowing and reaping is still active today. If we would understand that our financial troubles are because we don't understand who God is and what wealth is and what seeds is that becomes a harvest of generosity, we're trying to hoard it all for ourselves because we think all of our money is ours. Did you know that the whole 100% is actually God's? Haggai chapter 2 says, the Lord says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, everything is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So the first 10% of the tithe is the Lord's, the second 90% is the Lord's that I get to steward. It's not my money, it's all God's money. Alan and Vanessa were moving in last month and needed to move some things from their storage unit, and I just threw them the keys to my truck. I said, just take my truck and just take it for, for days. At that time, Josie was still in concussion protocol. I didn't need my truck for a whole week. So I, I asked him to keep the truck and just keep moving stuff, and he goes, but it's like a brand new truck. It's very generous. I'm like, it's not my truck. I, I don't care. Like, it actually belongs to the bank, and I just get to borrow it because I pay him a little money every month. <laughs> so it's your truck for a week. I don't care. I don't see it as my things, I see it as God's things. See, the whole thing with finances is the Lord is looking to see where is our faith. Because our giving is not for God's benefit, it's for our benefit. All right, the last thought on the tithe before we move on, because I know a lot of you are uncomfortable and I could really care less, but the point is this. Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, the Lord said, if you do tithe, I'm going to rebuke the devourer so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil or the vine that's in your field, those will not fail, says the Lord of hosts. So therefore, wealth that is not tithed on is open to the devourer. So you will pay 10% somewhere, either to God or to the devourer. You'll either pay it to God and he'll bless and protect you, or you won't, and you're gonna have flat tires, your shoes are gonna keep breaking out, you're gonna lose your phone, you're gonna have high interest credit, you're gonna waste money, you're gonna make bad investments. So you're gonna give that 10% somewhere. If you get $1,000 and you give $100 to the Lord, you do not have less. If you go beyond that to 11%, 12%, now you have seed for harvest. So my whole thing for the last, whatever it's been, 28 minutes, is I just want you to take one step in the direction of generosity. So everybody's in a different place. Some of you aren't even right with God yet, and in about nine minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to get right with God.
But some of you have been saved a long time, and you've been tithing a long time, and you've been giving a long time. I want you to ask the Lord, should I take another step in my generosity? My step right now is that I would be more careful in how I give my tithe, and I, I, I believe for harvest over my seed. I keep saying things like step, because I'm waiting for the illustration to manifest. And I wish I had a ladder that I could illustrate to you. There we go. Thank you, I love you. You're my favorite. Well done, gentlemen. Mighty men of God. We did not rehearse this, so probably should have. Bueno. Good. No, I don't need a holder. I'm good. So here's the way I look at church. Everybody in this room, everybody on the YouTubes, you, you have the potential to become a giver. So all you got to do is just take one step and say, yes, I have the potential to be a giver. And for some of you, for a lot of you, you are occasional givers. You'll throw 20 bucks in the bucket once in a while. You occasionally give to God. To me, I see it as tipping. It's like, I mean, you're not tipping like 10% or 20%, let's not get crazy, but you're, you're throwing God a bone. Like, hey God, thanks for giving me, the way I see tithe, honestly, is like rent. I, I get to breathe his air and live on his earth, so I, I give the Lord the tithe as rent. But anyway, you tip God once in a while, so you've taken a second step. Third step is people that give regularly. Listen, I might not be giving 10%, but I'm giving the, every two weeks when I get paid, I give God 20 bucks. I'm giving regularly and consistently. The fourth step is people that have crossed that bridge and they're like, listen, I recognize that I need to take the net income after taxes and health insurance goes out and I need to give that to God. That first 10% belongs to God. But really I think tithing is gross. So that's the next step is that you would tithe on the gross of your income. Why? Because that's, your income is what you earn. Your taxes and your health insurance is simply what you owe the government. But then after that, and after you get good at that, this is the next level. This is where generosity begins when you get to 11%. And this is your seed that you begin to plant for harvest. This does not make sense in your head, but this is where your heart wants to take you because you're like, man, I want to believe God that I, I, if, I, if I sow that there's going to be a reap. So then you begin to become generous, 11%, 12%. Your generosity is like starting to bubble up in your heart. You're starting to see more and more of a harvest in your life. And you're like, man, you know what? I, I see this generosity brewing in my heart. I, I want to have uncommon generosity. I want there to be 12%, 13%, 14%. I want to have such generosity that God can trust me with wealth. Do you know what's so funny? The people that give the most make the most. It's like the people that give a lot of money, they keep making more money. Why? Because God can trust them. Some of you are getting so nauseous right now. Yes, I'm going to do one more step just to make you more nauseous. The funny thing is we have uh, our facilities manager, Damien. Right now, he's vomiting a little bit. He has just messed up his chair, and he's got to clean that on Monday. He's so afraid of heights and ladders, it cracks me up. I, I'm not, clearly not, and I just do this to mess with you, but I love you. So. But this is where I want our church to be, uncommon generosity. Why? Because if we would have uncommon generosity, think of the harvest and things that we could do for the things of God. Amen? Hop up on your feet. Thank you, gentlemen. Do you know that the church also tithes? We believe in tithing so much 
that every Monday morning, Scarlett, our administrator, she looks at all of the giving online, all of the giving in person in the offering buckets. She, she adds up all the giving for the previous seven days, and then she takes 10% and she moves it to our missions and outreach fund. That fund is what goes to support six stones here in the mid-cities. It's what goes to fund the ministry and work that we do all around the world in, in, in parts of Africa, in, in Asia, and of course our work in Israel. Um, it doesn't pay salaries. It doesn't pay electric bills. It doesn't pay mortgage. That first 10%. So you give $100, $10 of that is not going to this church. It's going out to the nations. We believe in tithing so much because we want our church to make... If you own a small business, if you own a large business... I double-dog dare you to tithe on your business and see if God doesn't bless your business. See if God doesn't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so great you wouldn't have room to contain it. I'll also say this. If you're a parent or a grandparent, I told you earlier that Josie and I never struggled with tithing because we learned tithing from our parents. So from the very first days of our marriage, we, we, we chose to tithe and to do so joyfully. Why? We learned that from our parents. That was a legacy that was handed down. So now my son and my grandson are learning well beyond the tithe. They're learning to understand the concept of generosity, of generational wealth, of planting seed that's going to reap a harvest. We're not going to eat our seed. We're going to invest it in the kingdom of God for a future harvest for souls to be saved. To believe God that the mid-cities are going to be born again, all of DFW is going to be saved. Amen? Amen. Giving is not a giving issue. It's a faith issue. You were sitting in that chair for the last 45 minutes. You put a lot of faith in some welds you've never inspected. Some, some people like me, you know, you got a little girth to you, 190, 200 pounds. If those welds would have broken, you'd be at care now because something's sprained or broken. You put a lot of faith in a weld that you didn't see on that chair. We put faith in our brakes. We put faith in other people's brakes. We put faith in the building that the... 45 years ago when they built this strip mall that the pillars aren't going to fall over. You put faith in whoever built your apartment or your house. You put faith in a lot of things. The reason that God instituted giving and the tithe and generosity and all that is not because God needs money. He walks on streets of gold and uses pearls for doors. It's a faith issue. So some people, if you're a churchy church person and you're not a tither, if you're a churchy church person and you're not generous, but you know the Lord has called you to, some of you need to repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, not for sin. I'm sorry for not having faith. I'm sorry for being afraid. If you need help because you're in financial trouble, high interest credit card debt, you're living well beyond your means, we have people in our church that are exactly where you are and have gotten out and they want to help you. So I'd like you to write on a connect card, your name, your email address, phone number, and at the bottom put, I need some financial help. Drop it in the offering bucket on your way out. Pastor Ira is going to help put you in some groups with some men and women that love you, are praying for you, and have, have figured out the steps to help you get out of the trouble you're in. We had one person once a couple years ago, they sat down with one of our, our people to help, and they said, listen, I'm in $75,000 of credit card debt at like 24% interest. They weren't paying on the principal. They could, they could not even afford to keep up with the interest. That, that made me nauseous. But then I was moved with compassion because I, I would hate to try to sleep at night with that weight over my head. 
So if you have that crushing weight of debt over your head, we have some people in our church that can help you, encourage you, help map out some steps that you can take to get out of debt. If you're here this morning and your faith is not in God, I told you that this would be your day and your moment to repent of sin, ask God to forgive you, and you begin your faith walk with the Lord. So if you're here this morning or you're watching online and there's sin in your life, you're separated from God, you're living according to your kingdom and not the kingdom of God, you're sleeping with people you're not married to, you're getting high, you're getting drunk, you're looking at porn, you're getting angry and freaking out on people. We've all been there, but we're not there anymore because at some point in our lives, we came to the end of our life and said, I'm going to die to myself so I can live for the Lord Jesus. I'm not just going to say, oh God, please forgive me. I'm going to say, oh God, forgive me. I'm going to stop sinning so I can live for you. I think sometimes the American church does people a disservice by like, just pray this simple prayer and everything's going to be okay. I think we all know that we have to pray a simple prayer and then live out a very difficult discipleship journey of dying to our old life so we can live for Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you're watching online and you're not right with God, I want to pray for you. I want to lead you in prayer. I can't pray it for you. It's your prayer. I can help you, but I can't pray it for you. I can't believe it for you. We're going to pray a prayer, and if you believe it in your heart, I want you to pray it out loud. In fact, why don't we all pray together? Wherever you're at, I don't, I don't know where you're at in your journey. But if you need to get right with God, why don't, why don't we all pray this prayer? Just bow your head, close your eyes, just focus on, on the Lord. And if you mean it, say this with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I repent, and I surrender my life to you. I die to my old life so I can live for you. Wash me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I believe by faith that you are the Son of God and I receive the gift of eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, for loving me, for forgiving me in Jesus name if you agree say amen listen if you pray that prayer for the first time or maybe you prayed that prayer for the first time in a long time would you shoot your hand up real high just so I can celebrate with you and say man I'm so proud of you just shoot your I see your hand over there I see your hand over there Is there anybody else shoot your hand I see your hand over there anybody else shoot your hand up real high I see your hand right there yay God yay God yay God what about it, YouTube Three or four people shot their hand up and said, that prayer was my prayer. I got right with God today. Right there in your living room, I want you to just raise your hand between you and God and just say, Lord, I meant that prayer. In fact, if that was you, I want you to text the name. Grab your phone and text Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, to 817-405-2244. That's going to send you an auto-response form. Fill out that form. Click Submit because two things are going to happen. We're going to begin to pray for you. We want to encourage you in your walk with God. And then for those that were in the room and for you at home, we want to put a light bulb on our Jesus wall with your initials on it because we want to celebrate what God has done in your life. We want to mark the beginning of your new walk with faith or your returning to your walk with faith. I want to encourage you to come and get baptized in water to take our growth track and begin your journey of faith. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.